1: Goaltends. Uh, we call it inconsistency. Uh, no, they're consistent. They just suck.
2: It's really, the bat I think that justifies the height and the bonus, just in terms of the strength that he has and the quickness and whip in his bat speed.
1: And and pretty much every time the ball goes in the air in basketball, something exciting is happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's the rules of that game, as I understand it. And welcome to episode number 21 of Artificial Turf Wars, where our hitters shift on the defense. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined tonight by Josh Houston. How is Joshua this evening?
0: I'm good. How about you?
1: Good. We're back from the all-star break. Jays have been on the road, literally the only time they've been on the road all july which is just weird and uh i don't think we knew that last week that it would be that weird <laughs> so i apologize for all the people <laughs> we misled about the schedule uh this week we're going to talk about that road trip a little bit uh the problems with the bullpen what is strowman a enigma wrapped in a mystery and will the blue jays be in first place by the time you listen to this i don't know when you're listening to this uh there's some people coming back that are going to help get into first place we have an interview uh, regarding the trade deadline speculation, and, and well, then,
0: it's more about prospects that could be involved in potential trade deadline deals.
1: Fair enough. It, it all depends on your perspective. Uh, we, of course, have the usual raft of questions. A do-over for John Paul Morosi, and Josh is going to tell you why you should cheer for the Yankees. <laughs> Stick around <laughs> for that. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm excited. So, yes. Uh, yeah.
0: It's tongue in. No, it's totally legit. Yeah, um,
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> so so just before we get going, I would like to apologize because last week I suggested the Jays play the, the Mariners and the Padres on the road. That is obviously completely wrong. <laughs> they will be here for Kevin Pillar bobblehead day on Sunday. So yes, for everyone that pointed that out, my bad. <laughs>
1: I, I would like to, uh, to accept the apology on behalf of all of our listeners, uh, where I, whom I did not help out by correcting you. Uh, so the only five games in July that the Blue Jays played on the road, and that feels really weird saying that, but Mike Wilner said it today after the game, the Jays went three and two, one and two in Oakland, salvaging the final game of the series because Josh Donaldson wanted to punish his former team, I presume. And and then they just wrecked the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, they did. They were pretty much, after about the third inning of each game, they weren't in either game.
0: Yeah. I mean, the first one looked like it had potential to be something just, you know, because of some recent lack of performance when it comes to holding leads. But they they did what they were supposed to do against the second of the two bad teams.
1: Yes. Do you you want to touch on how I just I think the Blue Jays slogan should include never Oakland. Just never, (laughs) never go there. You can play them, but don't. Don't ever go to the OCO. I cannot remember a series i that they came out of Oakland, and I felt good about what had just happened there.
0: Now, watch. We'll go back and find out they swept in there last year or something like that.
1: <laughs> I believe, actually, they got swept in a four-game series last year. I could be wrong.
0: <laughs> there you go. But, uh, no, I mean, it's with its crazy dimensions. It's a park that can do weird things to you, especially if you're a team that's built on power the way the Blue Jays are. Although they didn't really have a ton of trouble scoring runs in that series. I mean, they scored seven runs, four runs, and then five runs in the three games.
1: And they gave up a decent number of home runs. Like It wasn't trouble for the Oakland batters. A a, a team that is just abysmal at hitting didn't have any trouble scoring runs either.
0: No. No, they didn't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Arizona is a team that is run by a Whole crew that appears to be very tied up in the old school mentality. So Dave Stewart is GM. Tony LaRusso, what is his official title? Is he president? President, just president. Um, Chip Hale is the field manager, and Chip Hale couldn't possibly be anything but old school with a name like that. <laughs> they look like a team that has is about to be left in the dust of a lot of other teams for a long time when I, when I look at the guys they have on that roster.
0: Well, I mean, talk about a screw up management of a team too. I mean, they traded the number one overall pick their first round pick from two years ago and another good player in, in CR day for a guy they just optioned to the minors, Shelby. Miller. That's
1: so bad. That's just, that's burning money and talent all at the same time. It's tough to do both. Usually you burn one or the other, right? When you sign a free agent or when yeah. you trade somebody.
0: But it's funny too, because you look at this team, it's like they've got Gene Segura, who's hitting really well. I mean, he seems to have rediscovered himself. Paul Goldschmidt is Paul Goldschmidt. And Jake Lamb is crushing the ball. But the rest of the team just isn't good.
1: No. I mean, they, they, they picked up Michael Bourne, and he's playing every day, isn't he?
0: He's back second.
1: <laughs> this was a guy who was DFA'd by two different teams in the last two years, if I'm not mistaken
0: no 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 two different teams this year this year (laughs) well (laughs) so
1: okay well that's enough thoughts about yeah arizona arizona and the twins are are birds of a feather aren't they
0: yeah they really are uh twins who just fired their gm finally there's no reason that cherry ryan lasted as long as he did but it seems like they're finally realizing hey this isn't working right but this is a blue jays podcast so we'll get back to that a bit um it was interesting watching like Darwin Barney hit a ball at the top of the fence in left center field. I mean, the ball must really fly in Arizona. It's a
1: strange environment. It, it's one of the higher elevation parks. It's not mile high, but um, I remember it, it is like one of the top five elevations in MLB, and that does have some effect. I'm sure the heat... And
0: it, it is a massive home run park too. I mean, it, yeah. it was sort of tongue-in-cheek saying it must fly because it
1: does. Uh, I'm sure the heat doesn't uh, hurt it at all either. The constant oppressive heat outside. They they cool the ballpark to eighty. That's a that's wow. air conditioned. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, huh. so the Blue Jays did have a three and two road trip, and once again, the issue that was revealed was the bullpens. Uh, we we'll call it inconsistency. Uh no, they're
0: consistent. They just suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, in the first game. Strowman had a meltdown, which we'll get to in a bit. But then, of course, they gave up a run to lose. The second game, it was, you know, the bullpen was fine. Third game, Chavez comes in, blows the game. You know, and then yesterday, or, or this is recording this, obviously for after the second game of Arizona, uh, Sanchez went seven. And then they went Grilly Osuna, the two guys who can get it done. And then today, Strowman went eight. And they still gave up three runs in the ninth because Cecil still sucks. I mean, it's, really, it's shocking how bad he has been, even since coming
1: off the DL. Yep. He had found his curveball, but apparently he lost something else.
0: I mean, he's, he was the guy that was supposed to make this bullpen go. You had Osuna, who was going to be the closer, and everybody knew that. And then you drop down to Cecil in the eighth and Storin. I mean, obviously Storin hasn't been good, but there were other relievers, righties that could take over, like Floyd or Chavez or whomever. But the one lefty they were counting on was Brett Cecil, and he's just been objectively bad.
1: Yes, and there are, every time I think, okay, well, you know, this is an outing to start putting it on the right track. He even if it doesn't in garbage time like it was today. Mm-hmm. He gets an out, he allows two singles, and boom, home run, and he's out of the game because uh, Mr. Gibbons isn't going to let him sort it out there on the mound, and it's suddenly not garbage time anymore. Um, yeah. But there's there's been a lot of runs uh, in every possible situation from Brett Cecil, an out here and then a run there. And, and you can't – I'm shocked that this team is still in as good a shape it is without a lefty in the bullpen that um, Gibbons wants to give the ball to.
0: Yeah, and and obviously the other option that could be coming is Franklin Morales, but even he's not doing that well in Buffalo, and I wouldn't be shocked if they just released him. Because he can only stay down for a few more days, because then his rehab assignment won't be up, and he can't be optioned.
1: That's a bitter pill.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, who knows? But the left-handed relief is definitely something his team needs to address, because it's just been terrible.
1: And that might come up later in the interview. I don't know. Um, (laughs) So... Stroman is also one of the weak spots that this team has had uh, with his ERA over five until today. And you you were looking into his adjustments and then sudden lack thereof. Yeah, this. I mean,
0: it was really interesting. So Marcus Stroman, obviously, as everyone knows, has had his struggles this season. It's not a secret. Don't really need to go into that too much. But one of the things we talked about was his, you know, his his predictability when it came to his pitches. Sinker, 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 sinker. And then, you know, curveballs and sliders that look the same. We talked about how he made the adjustment with his slider and was throwing it harder and almost scrapping the curveball entirely, which was good. And then on the Canada game against Cleveland, he threw more cutters than sinkers for the first time ever. And he went six and two thirds and gave up a run. And then against the Royals, he threw 40 percent sliders and cutters, 48 percent. And it's like, okay, so he's realized that he really needs to change it up, keep hitters off balance. and that all went away in his next start against Oakland. And he threw 60 percent 60 sinkers, which was I think I can't remember exactly how many pitches he threw, but it was you know, he, it was over 60 percent of his pitches were sinkers. And it sunk him. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and he got crushed. I mean, obviously he was elevating some of them, but you just, you can't go that way through 95 pitches, 60 of which were sinkers. So, I mean, when he's doing that, he gets hit. The reason that everyone expected so much of him was because of this grouping of pitches that he's got. You know they, that are all so good, and if he's just throwing one of them, well, unless you're Aaron Sanchez and doing it at 97 miles an hour, it's hard to get, hard to get things done.
1: <laughs> Aaron Sanchez is uh, is crazy to watch yeah. him. I mean, I, I watched him live. Uh, you, you can you can see it, it, a lot of pictures it, you have to look up at the, the scoreboard to see what um, what they just threw. But whenever I, I watched Sanchez, I could see halfway to the plate. It's like, oh, curveball. Yep. Oh, <laughs> change up. Ah, that was the fastball. And the the way the hitters reacted to it was very much, oh, crap, it's a fastball. Um, yeah, so all that going on with Sanchez, it's, it's such a, a huge contrast. Um, it's amazing that he throws as many fastballs as he does, and they still cannot square it up.
0: Well, which, I mean, yeah. I, I I just want to finish with Stroman quickly because you were yep. talking like what well, Sanchez can do this, right? He still makes minor adjustments, Sanchez. Uh, you know, I wrote a piece for Baseball Perspectives Toronto about this. Like from when he's facing a team a second time, he does work differently, which was interesting to see. Even when he dominates in the first time, it's like, well, let's give you something a little different. But Stroman can't do just a little different, right? Because he right. doesn't throw 97 like Sanchez with nine inch break. So against Arizona in the start where he went eight innings and gave up a run. He mixed it up again, and it's like, oh, he had success. He threw twenty-four four-seam fastballs, fourteen sliders, eleven cutters, you know, in his ninety-nine pitches. And you know the four-seam fastball up. Oh, we've talked about that for him to get strikeouts, but he's changing it up, giving people different looks, different eye levels, and it works. He can't go back to the sinker baller again.
1: And I think if you, you're still going to get ground balls out of that pitch mix, even if it's not specifically the sinker, which he did today against Arizona. Um, sure. And the other thing is, if you want a guy who uses a, a wide variety of pitches to achieve, uh, you know, a, a good end, he doesn't really have to look farther than Jay Happ to do that, does he? Well, I mean, Jay Happ
0: is the perfect example. His stuff is nowhere near as good as Strowman's, but he's so unpredictable with what he's going to throw that he's able to get outs. And when you add in this stuff, it makes it even easier to get out. So, stop just throwing sinkers
1: <laughs> well he appears to have we're we're heading in a direction that you, you have to like it's it's not it's not a ballooning era all the time now so we'll see if he uh if he tightens it up as as august approaches yeah
0: zero is under five now Woo! uh
1: <laughs> okay so the blue jays are getting closer to first place part of that is because the blue jays are playing half decent baseball but part of that i guess is uh is the Red Sox have not run away with the division like they were in April and early May. Uh, and Baltimore is in first. I still don't understand how Baltimore is in first place with one guy in the starting rotation, but I think I said that last week. Uh, Although, since you've said that, they've not been playing as well. <laughs> well, I'm saying it again, gosh darn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: as we're recording this, the Yankees are losing... To, I mean, so the Baltimore is losing to the Yankees again after having lost two in a row and lost to the Rays, and the AL East is really tight. So as we're recording this again, Baltimore and Boston are both playing. Boston is winning eight nothing, so they're going to win that game. Mm-hmm. And if Baltimore loses, the three teams will be separated by one game, Total. with Boston in first place, Baltimore in second, and the Jays in third.
1: That's what you want, right? You want as close as possible and the optimal result of as, you know, as, many, as much confusion as you can get at the top of your division. If, with this wild card format, I'm all for confusion. Yeah, well, you
0: want to win, all right? The division oh, is yeah. so important, right? And if you can keep yourself close when you have the talent, then that's what you want, at least until you can augment your team. Obviously, like right now, I would say the Blue Jays have the best team in the division.
1: Now, you say that despite the fact that the Red Sox keep madly shuffling people around and trading and, and putting people on the roster. They put. Uh, well, but Brad, that's
0: why I said right now.
1: But they put Brad Ziegler on. And Drew Pomeranz. Um, but they lost Craig Kimbrell.
0: Yes, for four to six weeks. And yeah, and they added Drew Pomeranz, which gets Clay Buckholz back out of the rotation. But they still have a weak starting rotation, and their bullpen is not nearly as strong as it was. Carson Smith, who they thought was going to be a key piece, is out for the season with Tommy John. And it, as we established, Baltimore has no starting pitching, and their hitting has come back to earth.
1: Did Koji Uhara not get hurt last night or come out of the game?
0: Um, if he did, I didn't catch that. I thought he finished the game off.
1: No, I, I hurt. Yeah, see this is why we do but, research you know live. but anyway
0: but it, but this isn't the general point i was making though the the point uh is that oh yeah he strained his pack. but uh uh but the point is that the jays are the I, in my opinion the most talented team right now but a lot can change over the next two weeks so it's important as you said like to stay close and get as much space and as distance as you can because we saw what happened last year when a team makes change to the deadline <laughs>
1: And that team of course was the one we all are cheering for and uh, it worked out famously but uh yeah, yeah and, remains and we're hoping to be seen. of course
0: that they do it again this year I mean there's no real reason this team can justify for not adding at least a relief pitcher
1: yeah I mean they, they managed to add one without too much disruption one who even really even has an option for next year I was just reading so you would think it's, 3 not, million, yeah. it's not a great stretch to add another one you yeah. would hope <laughs> Uh they will get a little bit better, though, right? Possibly on Monday?
0: Yeah. It sounds like Jose Bautista will be back for the start of the San Diego series, which is amazing news. It sort of came out of nowhere. It's like, oh, no, we don't know when he's going to return. We don't know when he's going to return. He's going on a rehab assignment. He's going to be back Monday. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> he is so angry at his toe that he hit a home run in his first at bat in Dunedin. Yeah. Because we know when Jose Bautista is angry, he hits home runs. That's definitely his M.O., <laughs> But, I mean, that's a huge reinforcement if he comes
0: back and is playing at full strength when he comes back because the lineup is hitting now as it is, and he's second, third best hitter in this lineup and one of the top, what, 15 hitters in the game?
1: Yeah, and and this lineup has not really missed a beat without him there. I'm which, not complaining yeah. about him coming back. I just, it's amazing that they've continued to score runs and move the line, which is fantastic. Which
0: makes you think what well, they can be with him in it, right?
1: Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, Yeah, of course, but
0: I mean, Tulewski still continues to hit, right?
1: Yep. Oh, yeah, I'm not complaining. Uh, So we do have one other mystery uh, possibly returning to the big club, and that is the formerly suspended Chris Colabello has begun taking swings in the minor leagues.
0: His situation is very interesting. I mean, as you mentioned, suspended for steroids and... That means he cannot play in the postseason. And the reason that that's important is because, I mean, okay, obviously you have to get there first, and that's where he could be coming into play if he starts hitting in the minors, and, you know, he is. But you don't want a guy who's a key cog in your lineup who all of a sudden you have to take him out when the game starts to matter the most. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's probably the reason why that that adjustment to the uh, suspension rule came into play, right? That was uh, the debate was about what, whether Melky Cabrera would come back for the Giants, right?
0: Yes, that was right before he was the free agent. Yeah, yeah. And then they said, okay,
1: next year you can't. It's not even going to be a debate. You can't bring him back. Um, yeah, it's kind of a weird rule, but it, yeah, it it does produce that. If you if you get a, a lineup that's clicking and it's got Chris Colabello in it every you know two out of every three days because he's a better option than Justin Smoke at first base all of a sudden he disappears. And now how rusty's Justin smoke in September? If, if that's what you did.
0: Yeah. And especially with Justin smoke too, because there's a big difference between his performance when he's playing every day. And when he's not, when he's playing, you know, every few days with Edwin at first and whoever, he's just much worse when he's coming off the bench because he's a guy who doesn't make contact that much as it is.
1: Absolutely. So that, kind of brings us I believe to the end of our our week in review yeah I'd say
0: we summed it up but basically come back Jose we miss you (laughs) we miss you and we love you
1: Uh, all right so looking forward I think a little bit uh, we'll be talking to Adam McInturf in just a few seconds about all them Prospects. prospects that might might bring back what the Blue Jays need be right back And we are pleased to be joined by Baseball Prospectus' own Adam McInturf. Uh Adam, welcome to Artificial Turf Wars. Hey
2: guys, thanks for having
1: me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, we are to glad to have you. So you are uh, part of the scouting uh, department over at Baseball Prospectus. And uh, we're going to yeah. get your thoughts on some of the Blue yep. Jays folks. But I guess first, how does one become a, a scout in any, in a professional context? I'm, I'm kind of curious what, what career path led you there.
2: Well, I, I think it's different. Uh, maybe what led like what led me there is not it's not like the way that I became a scout was the one unilateral path that people become scout. Um, it's an interesting, I think, kind of subset of the baseball operations community because there are a lot of different uh, avenues. I think they kind of get you to the same end. So uh, I don't know. Do you mean how to do you curious, you know, how do people get the shouting or how did I personally get the shouting? Oh, you, you get into it. Okay. Um, well, me personally, uh I think that I, I was good enough at baseball to play with young men that were very good and thus I realized that I was not great. Um there, you know, I, I and I real, you know, I had a real passion for it always. I kinda of grew up uh reading a lot of baseball America. Um and uh you know, I went off to school and when when I went off to school uh I actually bought the speaking the speaking of baseball America again um I bought the baseball America directory, which uh handily enough a good tip given to me by a friend and mentor uh I was about eighteen or nineteen right when I was heading to school um I looked up every area scout um and the directory generally is very good about giving the areas that they cover and where I was going to attend college that being the University of Kentucky I tried to initiate correspondences uh, or correspondence I don't know I should have used the word I know but um, (laughs) I I, I tried to get in touch with area guys and uh, see if there was an opportunity for us to at least have just basic conversations about shouting or basically, you know, ask them what you asked me, you know, what's the way to get into shouting and express an interest in it. My goal was hopefully that uh, I kind of knew that it was the type of thing that built upon itself in terms of your mental database of players, as it were, that's kind of the phrase that's accepted the mental database of players. So um, knowing that that, Takes time, and there's no substitute really for time and experience when it comes to a subjective matter like scouting. Uh, I wanted to start my clock early. I wanted to start building my group of players early. So I was lucky enough to help out an area scout as an associate scout for two years. Um, then, after my sophomore year, I took one of these internships where you know you you're a video intern and you spend a lot of time with a video camera as you would imagine. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think over time, different experiences or different formative experiences start to build that base of players. And from there, whether you're shouting for a team or um, otherwise, you know, whether it's some other experience I've had on the team side, which has been great, I've been lucky to have. Um, you know, you always want to continue to expand that base. And so whether it's me, what I do now for baseball perspectives or whether it's for a team, I think you're always just building on your mental database of players and trying to do your best to compare what you're seeing to what you have seen in the past and try and uh, match up the differences, similarities between the two and try and, Or at least that's kind of how I describe it. I don't know if that's, if this is a, if this is an overly wordy thing, we can cut this down. I'm sorry. But that, that, that would be kind of what I think builds over time um, and what I try to build over time in various experiences working with uh, professional teams.
0: It's interesting. Um, I'm curious. Are there certain levels and age groups that you find easier to scout than others?
2: So yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's easier, but I think that the inputs that you use uh, to come to your final conclusion about a player, I think maybe if you were to think about it in a way where like a different linear weight is attached to different inputs, different parts of information that kind of come together to form the end end grade, I think you might focus on different things at different levels. So, for instance, at, at the AA level, I mean, the most basic thing I'm saying, like at the high minors level, I think that I probably, I'm not saying like I exclusively use statistics, but I might be more mindful of certain uh, statistical tendencies or overall levels of success um, versus I think like when, you know, I saw uh, Bluefield, you who know, I'm sure we'll talk about on this podcast, when I saw the Blue uh, Bluefield. Um, I think at that level in the Appalachian League or the Gulf Coast League Blue Jays or something like that, um, you really are fully shouting almost. I mean, something I thought when I was watching Arizona League Baseball a few years ago, this was just like amateur baseball, but with tools. But otherwise, the process to evaluate a player is very very subjective and it's very rooted in the tools and projection that you see and I think uh, as guys get older and closer to the major league level you can take in some objective and quantifiable information in a way that you probably could at the lower level so I don't know what's easier but I'd say at least it's different and I definitely uh, recognize and understand that difference um, between the high and low miners
0: cool that's actually a really interesting answer thank you for that so I guess.
2: Thank you for a really interesting
0: question. <laughs> See, I just ask these questions so I can get compliments back. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's the great reason to ask questions. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so I figure, you know, we are a Blue Jays podcast, and you you have been scouting a bunch of teams, as you said. So why why don't we shift things a bit with the trade deadline coming up? Obviously, people are going to be sure. Jays fans specifically are going to be interested in which prospects are doing what and t- who teams might covet. So, well, why don't we start at the top down, just based on from where, what you just said. The big guy at Double A, my understanding, and you can obviously correct me from this unless if I'm wrong, would be Rowdy Teles. He's young for the league; he's only 21, but he's putting up pretty good numbers. Uh, is what we're seeing with the numbers matching what you're seeing there?
2: Yeah, I think especially in the power department, um, and in terms of him being the big guy, I definitely would agree. He is the big guy. He's quite a big dude. Um, he's you know a 6'4", 240 hundred and forty pound corner type of profile and uh he's left-handed and when you have that type of size and uh you know I think natural leverage in your swing I think he's been a guy since amateur days I saw him play in high school and I saw him play this season as well and uh he's always had a feel to hit and it looks like he really enjoys hitting and he uh, has had a professional demeanor in the box for a long time that has uh, outshadowed his actual age. So some of the success he's having, it doesn't surprise me at all. I know it's been, um, really, I'm, it's always elating. Wasn't he, uh, he was a late round guy that got overpaid, I believe, or not. Yeah. Overpaid, yeah. He, but, yeah,
0: he uh, was a tough sign over-spon. that fell out of the, out of the 10 round, top 10 rounds. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. But he, he was valued. Uh, yes, he was valued financially, you know, with the uh, higher than I believe it was 30th or it was in the thirties. Um, and it's always enthusing when, you know, a player development project like that or a guy that fell out of the top 10 rounds, uh, you're actually able to get a deal done and get that guy in your system and start to see him having success. And that's a credit, obviously, to the player and the Blue Jays scouting staff too to kind of cultivate this, you know, potential regular, solid regular fast at a corner uh, from, a, from a sign like that in the draft. But, um, you know, I, I, I think I really like the power. I believe in the power. And if there's something that, I think, gives trepidation. Uh, it's probably just the feel to hit, but he's so young, and, you know, I'm sure you guys, I'm sure I don't have to tell you guys that uh, age relative to level is always a factor to consider as well. And mm-hmm. so, he's talented, he's got uh, raw power, which is a tool that, honestly, frankly, with as big as he is and with some of the aspects of his swing, it's, you know, he's always going to hit the ball hard. He's always going to hit the ball far. It's just a matter of how much he hit the ball, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, and, you know, I think some of the things that might you know, give anyone hesitation about him hitting the ball, you can obviously make you know, to put it simply, you can make the argument that there's certainly plenty of time for him to remedy some of those things. I think left handed pitching I don't know, I, I'm sure again you guys probably are more much more familiar with the splits. Um I do review them, but I don't know. I'm you know, I'm sure you guys have seen them more recently, but I think he's a guy that struggles against lefties and he might be uh I don't know, I, I remember feeling as though he might have been more pool oriented. But again, these are things these can be adjustments and these things to be fixed and he checks a lot of big lead boxes and he has a lot of attributes that you see on guys playing first base every night in the major leagues offensively for sure
0: well we're certainly happy to hear that and for the record he does struggle mightily statistically against lefties
1: so yeah, for the record, I mean, his point has that
2: look for the record <laughs> I, I don't his swing has that look too yeah
1: I don't ever actually know these things or look at splits. <laughs> yeah.
0: Greg, Greg, Greg is not big on the on the minor leaguers. Well, this is why we have people like you on. So exactly. Um, and I guess the other guy that is now on the Fisher Cats and did not start there, which actually surprised many people, uh, that had got a lot of tonight, was Connor Green. Have you had a chance to see him since he's been up with New Hampshire?
2: Yeah, um, I have. And he's an exciting pitching prospect. I would chance that he is perhaps their best pitching prospect at what's considered a high level minors? Would you agree with that? Or would you say he's in that mix?
0: I, I think that that's definitely in the conversation for sure. It depends okay. on what you consider high level. Like is, is high a at high level? Cause I think Reed Foley would be in the conversation there, but otherwise the,
2: no. Yeah, no, I, I I guess I don't know. Maybe maybe I I don't know why I arbitrarily think that high miners is double A AA and triple A, but I've always and that would be confusing because high is actually in the name in high A, but <laughs> I, I, I I mean I meant somehow not I, considering I, that, I meant double A AA and triple A.
0: Yeah, I think that's the standard definition, but yes, I think he's definitely the best one in that grouping.
2: Cool. Uh but- well, yeah, no, I, I, I have seen him this year. Um and he's an exciting pitching prospect. I mean, he's what they look like physically and with his stuff. I mean, there's no denying that he's an athletic, really fast, loose arm, six foot three or six foot four build. He's not, you know, huge, but he's not really lean either. I mean, he, he has the features of a hard throwing guy that can eat innings. Um, and same thing, like I said about Rowdy Telez's power, he has, you know, big, I said, you know, Rowdy has big raw tools that at the end of the day, raw tools kind of just are like if you have a good fastball and you know flashes of a swing and miss breaking ball you're going to be able to flash those generally when you execute your pitches and there's no denying the stuff i mean i've seen him um you know 93 to 97 98 i think Uh, i heard last week in a start he was or yeah last week um he was throwing he touched 97 98 uh and he'll flash a really good breaking ball. I mean, he'll, he'll flash a swinging miss, kind of power curveball. Um, and with a lot of young arms, I think the thing that he is working on is refining the consistency of his mechanics and then refining the consistency of his ability to set up hitters because you'll see it. I mean, you see it. And then, you know, with a lot of young pitchers, there'll be sequences that he'll fall out of or he'll uh, maybe lose the feel for staying on top of his breaking ball, such that it gets its best spin. Or maybe he, uh, sometimes the zone. I, I, I saw a start that the zone got away from him a little bit early on in the game. But, you know, again, he's, he's a really, you know, the talent is there, the frame is there, and the stuff is there, and there's a lot of attributes to work with. He's a very young arm uh, at, at, at the level. And it's, you know, a lot of enthusing signs, and a guy that if it clicks in the best case has – the look of, you know, the two or three pitches that can miss the good level as a starter.
0: And so based on that report you just gave, is this the type of guy that if a team comes asking for him, that the team would feel potentially like, ooh, we don't want to give up this guy? Or is it like, you know what, there's enough risk that we can afford to, assuming you're getting someone good back?
2: Yeah, well, of course. I, I think you're always, I, I think at the time that you make any trade, you think that you're obtaining uh, an asset that holds more value in your specific situation. I think if you didn't, then you wouldn't probably move any of your assets for oh, an exchange that you're less comfortable with. But, you know, I, I think that, um, I don't know. I, I Yeah. Yes. I, I, I think it just depends on every team's situation. It depends on the trade and it depends how much, uh, you know, maybe internally where they view his ceiling. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if you were, a guy they wanted to hold on to, but by the same token, it wouldn't surprise me if he was one of the very first names that uh, you know the Blue Jays front offices might be fielding calls about if any teams are interested in prospects. And uh, you know, maybe that would be a position that they're in. You know, as a team that might be looking to add win-now talent at the big league level. You know, such that he's definitely a talent in their system that could be a part of the package like that. Definitely.
0: No. Oh, all right. Well, that's definitely answers the question. <laughs> um, well, we're gonna, I guess. Leave New Hampshire for a little bit. You said you did get a chance to see the Midwest League? Yeah,
2: I did I, I did see Lansing. I saw uh, Pentecost, Pentecost.
0: Well, that's good. We're going to ask John you about
2: him. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to ask you how to pronounce his name. Pentecost?
0: Pentecost, Foster I believe.
2: Coast, it, 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 it's always been one of, you know, uh, baseball. Uh, my my league, baseball's greatest existential question. Ever,
0: so <laughs> I think it would I've be the price that. of something.
2: Uh, yes. the 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 pentecost is something okay (laughs) thank you
1: uh so pentecost uh was a first round selection if i'm not mistaken yes at a a tennis state that was the year they had jeff Hoffman. Mm -hmm. hasn't hasn't panned out exactly um because we're asking about a guy in in the high minors if you so far so what have you seen from him yeah a lot of injury
2: yeah, I, I think that it – I don't know how you want to split the tape with this. I was about to say, like, at the very least, it hasn't just been he hasn't performed, you know? So, yeah, I feel like you can look at that one of two ways, right? Because I think that if it's a guy that's been injured, you can always hold out hope that there's still yarn. I mean, you know, sometimes I think when you shout college and high school guys, you get in this habit of feeling like college guys are old men. And then you realize that they're still 21 years old. Uh, at the time that you're picking them, or most of them anyway, twenty you know twenty to twenty two years old, most of them twenty one. So that's still in the grand scheme of things, uh, is you know fairly young for a minor league player. And there are plenty of twenty two year olds, I believe Rowdy Teles is right around that age, that are in just in Double A, uh, that were drafted from high school. And you know, so you you hope that, like you said, I think there's been a lot of injuries. Um, I unfortunately did not get to see him catch much, which I was very interested in doing. But I was interested in seeing him overall knowing that he had rebounded from some physical issues and i i liked a lot of the hitting tools actually I, I i liked uh the way the hands worked the plate and the shortness of the swing and the way that i thought that he covered the inside part of the plate i had the benefit of seeing him have a pretty good series as well uh, where he hit a lot of balls hard and hit a a pretty long home run to the pole side too. But um, in terms of, you know, being an athletic guy with good balance in his base and a flat swing that's short to the ball and can get backspin for some average and power, I thought he kind of had some of the check marks offensively, tools-wise, that you're looking for to throw that label on somebody. Um, But like I said, you know, I didn't see him catch, and I think he's not, you know, I believe anyway, he did not look to me. He looked like a guy that will both hit and hit for a little bit of power, but not necessarily a master. So it seemed like maybe his best uh, opportunity for that bat to hold its, you know, highest upside profile would be his catcher. So I don't know if you guys have heard anything about his defense behind the plate. Well, he's still dh only right now. Okay. Well, that would explain why I didn't see him catch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, So he did not catch in DH. He just, uh, you know ph but i like the hitting tools i mean you know i i'd like some of the hitting tools and it was a guy that if i were a scout and i were to be writing up a report i would you know take note of the fact that despite the fact he'd had some injuries and he was a first round college guy that still is in lansing i would at least take note that uh maybe he's one of the guys that shows some of the tools offensively it gives you the hope that if the injuries are behind him you can put some things together pretty quickly and make up time so the other guy
1: uh (laughs) That you had mentioned there briefly was was Harris. Now Jesse Goldberg Strassler, I, I follow on Twitter, and, and we've talked to him before. Um, he raves about Harris and, and the potential there. Did, did you get a chance to see him? Um, you know, yes. Do you agree? I,
2: I, I <laughs> yeah. I I I did it and I saw him good, but he's had a lot of quality starts. Uh, you know, I let like us I said you know we talked about New Hampshire, I see double A baseball. Uh, I saw Lansing. I see. I see. I see more low A baseball in the South Southland, Wesley, like Westlake, but it's, you know that's both low A full season leagues. And frankly, uh, you know Harris did not look that uh, different or any or that much further behind than any most of the quality prospects pitching at Double A. I mean, I'll put it this way: there's some more refined attributes um, of his strike throwing and pitchability right now than uh, Connor Green. Um, and you know, I don't think, I'm still not saying he's better. I'm just saying like he's, you know, but he also pitched in college. So, you know, that, that's maybe the give and take isn't, uh, he's older than Connor green or maybe the same age. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I I saw the ceiling. Um, I think it's a good combination of a guy that does have some swing and miss pitches killed his own, but also has a pretty high floor. Um, like I said, there's a lot of things he was doing, Pretty well and pretty advanced in terms of knowing how to use his pitches, um, tunneling, keeping his off-speed pitches, I should say, which is called tunneling, keeping the off-speed pitches on a similar plane as the fastball and being able to pitch uh, with different sequences and strategies, not just pitching the lineup fastball, fastball, curveball every time. Um, you know, I, he looks like a guy that could be a number three starter, but again, I think some of the upside is just how polished he is, and you see him, and he definitely has that lead look about you know a sits five guy with uh, three solid quality pitches and he knows how to use them and that definitely stands out um, in the Midwest League for sure, and I saw him pitch very well against lake county
1: okay so mm-hmm. as as I pointed out earlier i 'm not a prospects guy, but I, I just briefly you, you may not have seen him, but the one name that I get to hear all over the place on the internet is Vladimir Guerrero jr. What is yeah. the buzz outside of our little bubble of Blue Jaydom about Vlad Jr. and, and what he might have going on in, uh, I believe it's Vancouver?
2: Yeah, um, I have seen Vlad Guerrero Jr., which hey, I haven't. Uh, I see the Appy lead for a short season lead. I have not seen all the teams. Um, I'm working on putting together an entire lead piece for when I do, and that's about 65% of the way done to put an arbitrary number on it. But I have seen Bluefield. And uh, you know the hype on him, I, I think it's real in terms of having. I mean, you know, if, if we say this is Vlad Guerrero Jr. and then we say this is a really strong-bodied guy with just crazy bat speed and just unusual uh, hand-eye coordination in bat-to-ball with a lot of raw power who takes a huge swing, and you know, sometimes it's learning how to channel that, and turn that down, but the times where. He's toned down and he's able to tap into his contacts. The power is just absurd. A very strong throwing arm, too. So it's like, huh, I feel like we've heard that before when it, <laughs> when it comes to the name of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, obviously, I'm not likening him to his dad because I think you never want to, you know, there's, you just, it just wouldn't be something to do. But in terms of a tool set, I think he's a little shorter than his dad, but the muscular frame, he's like in just a very, like, you, know, you, you, you see a lot of, uh, 18 and 19 year olds uh, in the athlete League. And he's actually 17, I believe. I think he is mm-hmm. 17 uh, yes, yes. or an early 18. And he's a lot more just physically developed, uh, just a really physical, uh, kind of has that big league athletic uh, corner outfielder look to so him. I actually saw him play third. Uh, I believe. Has he played exclusively third since signing?
0: I think that's where they have him, yes.
2: Hmm. Well, he has a strong arm there. Again, you know, whether it's third of the outfield, you know, it's not like he's a shortstop or a center fielder. So it's the bat that's going to carry him, and it's really the bat I think that justifies the hype and the bonus, just in terms of the strength that he has and the quickness and whip and his bat speed. Um, you know, he's a guy. Same thing. I, I I must have had the hot hand seeing Blue Jays prospects uh, hit home <laughs> runs. But I I saw, I saw Vlad Guerrero have a very good series and uh, get into a couple. Um, and again, you know, he'll have a bat like he'll have. At bats in the same game, one of which where he gets his front down, uh, front foot down early, and is able to really turn on the fastball. And there are times where it's you know he's in an 0-2 count and he swings at a curveball for strike three, like it's you know a 3-1 fastball. You know it's it's both and it's polarized by the same token. That's kind of what I was saying about how you want to get away from some more objective and statistical measures of the low minors. Is his age at his level and the tools that he has. He does a lot of things that you just don't see a lot of 17 year olds doing right now. He has a lot of present ability and he really works the part when he gets a hold one.
0: <laughs> well, there's certainly some hopes riding on him since they blew the entire. Yeah, you know, they're not allowed to sign any guys this year, because, over 300,000 because of him. So they, they, they're definitely yeah. asking a lot of Vlad Guerrero Jr.
2: Yeah, it's true. And that's always a risk when you're, you know, rolling the dice at the top of the market on July 2nd. You're always, you know, you're going you're, you're, you know, to, there's plenty of. Uh, high dollar guys that have come from the international signing period and from the Dominican Venezuela and others in Latin America and they haven't panned out and there have been guys, you know, that get paid a lot and it does pan out and they're guys somewhere in between. So, <laughs> um, that's always kind of a risk that you take, but he does have, you know, I, I saw him and Adrian Rondon as another, um, impact or considered impact, uh, Seven-figure international signings, also seventeen, and you know, I'd say both of those guys showed the reason why there aren't many seventeen-year-olds in the Apple League, except for these top-dollar ones. Because there are things about Blad and the others stand out when you're at that age at that level. Hmm. Well,
0: that's pretty cool. So, before we let you go, though, is there someone yeah. that that we, as you know, people who follow most of the big league team and pay attention to the prospects, but you not know, that aren't like the big names that someone has stood out to you?
2: Yeah, a guy that's been getting a lot of buzz uh we where, where have we gone we've gone bluefield west virginia and new hampshire so we'll go to we'll go to vancouver um uh the canadians in the northwest lead there's a pitcher named Justin in my essay that uh is that the i believe that's the pr- pr- pronunciation right
0: i'm pretty sure that is right yes
2: yes okay just you know Double-checking. Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, he's been terrific. He's been a projection right-handed guy, uh, high school right-handed kid. And, you know, same thing. Like, maybe to different degrees, but like when you're dealing with top of the market on international 16 year olds when you're dealing with high school pitching – and as you know, the Blue Jays have demonstrated an affinity for high school pitching, uh, you know, for uh, some time, I would say. It's safe to say. Um, he's one of the prep arms, like Connor Green, too. He, Connor Green was not a first-round guy, it was uh, but uh, a guy that really projected large and took steps in that positive direction. So often with that demographic, you see, quote, projectable guys that don't do that much more projecting out. But uh, just in my essay, I've heard his come – a significant ways the uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with him he was a high round pick from them from rural texas or fairly rural texas not the dallas metroplex area or another area i believe in west texas and
0: yeah from el paso uh,
2: yes yes a three sport athlete um and you know same thing i i think in in high school he was uh you know, live arm guy with a good frame that flashed some stuff and flashed athleticism, such that you thought he could make adjustments, but he's made a lot of those adjustments and everything's up. The stuff is up. I, I have not seen him. Um, I've heard though, and it's easy to believe. And I've heard from a few people that he's been, uh, picked up on a fastball to the point where he's now anywhere from 92 to 95 or 96. That's a very lively pitch, uh, to the Denny. He is an athletic and he's pretty smooth with the way his arm works over the top. Um, He's showing the ability to make guys swing and miss with a breaking ball, uh, a hard, tight slider, uh, and actually throwing a slider pretty hard for a kid that age, too. Throwing like a real mid-80s power slider um, that really, you know, is flashed pretty good at times. And he's throwing a lot of strikes, and for me, that's just a personal thing. But when a young pitcher, I believe, yes, this is his first full season of professional baseball. He was a 2015 draftee, and uh, I guess he started in extended if he went to Vancouver, but when a young kid like this is able to both have athleticism on a big-lead-looking frame, has some stuff, and throws strikes, I mean, I think that's where, you know, projection and pop-up guys come from that become go from having tools to being real big-lead prospects, and I think he might be one of the guys that makes that jump for them this year.
0: We'll us oh, to we keep our yeah. app for him.
1: Yeah. All right, so as Johnny Cash once said, I've been everywhere, man, and I think we've been all around the Blue Chase Minor League system with that. Uh, so we, yeah, we did, yeah. At this point, I usually give our guests an opportunity to plug their Twitter handle if they wish to do so. Do you wish to do so?
2: Uh, well, I, I guess when you, when you put it like that, when Where? you put it like that, uh, yes, well, I, I, I do have a Twitter, um, which I'm getting, you know, I'm getting better. at I, I, I was not much of a Twitter guy previously before this, but yes, Twitter, um, wadam underscore McIntyre M C I I don't know, I, I think selling was helpful with the last name like that, but um, it's been really fun to work with a great group of guys here on the PC prospect team, and we just released our top 100, uh, our top 50, I should say, top 50 mid-season prospects, and that was a really fun collaborative effort. Of workmanship from all of our guys and the company, and that we're proud of. There's certainly were plenty of these Blue Jays prospects who are on the list in consideration. So, all right,
1: um, we appreciate yeah. you dropping by, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll have you on again soon. Okay, thank you very much. Glad all right, take care. And we're back. And we'd like to thank uh, Adam McInturf of Baseball Prospectus for joining us and offering uh, a little perspective on the Blue Jays minor leagues. And we're moving on. We're moving on to Back to the Big Leagues. Back to the Big Leagues for one big league question. Really? <laughs> Did we catch you unawares tonight, people? One uh one fantastic question. Would you like to read the question?
0: Sure. So this question comes from Blue Jay Way One. What creature do we have to sacrifice to improve the Jays' luck in one-run games?
1: (laughs) And a very serious question as well, obviously.
0: They know the tone (laughs) of our podcast.
1: Indeed. Um, I've always thought Kentucky Fried Chicken was really, it it wasn't a sacrifice per se, but uh, ever since Major League, that's the food I think of when I think of clubhouse sacrifices.
0: But if you're going to quote that movie, Willie May- Mays Hayes, should have gotten a lot of chicken.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it didn't help Jan Gomes. <laughs> Jan Gomes had the worst luck in the world. They sacrificed something for him and then he hurt his shoulder. So, um. So, I'll stick don't. with the KFC? Yeah, we're going to go with KFC. Uh, I, again, I'd like to acknowledge the fact that it really is just luck in one run games. That doesn't actually represent any actual skill.
0: I think that at some point it does just because like if you have a good bullpen, you'll probably win more than like a really good bullpen. Or if you have a really bad bullpen, it'll sway it. And the Jays have a pretty bad one. But yeah, in general, I agree with you.
1: It has to be pretty extreme. And, and why not two run games? You're still putting your best reliever in when there's two run lead, right? You're not putting some garbage time guy in. So why do we only care about one run games? I, I don't know. Seems weird to me uh we had another comment Did you uh from brendan coon uh he was thinking about us when matt devlin was doing the broadcast he said uh devlin could have his own version of swinging a drive from one game alone <laughs> excitable with anything that reaches the outfield
0: okay so here's the thing calling the play is really hard and matt devlin has no training at it, he does it he's done it but like, he's a he's a basketball guy
1: and and pretty much every time the ball goes in the air in basketball, something exciting is happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's the rules of that game, as I understand it. Right. And whereas Buck has been
0: around this for a long time, <laughs> so we don't give him the same benefit of the
1: doubt that we give to Devlin. <laughs> Fair enough. I actually enjoy Matt. Uh, to be honest, I like I like sort of the rhythm of his voice and the way he calls the game. So in the, in yes, I I'm sure his. Uh, his familiarity with how to call a baseball game does leave him a little lacking, but I definitely think he could be a a good guy if they wanted him for some reason, more, more consistently. Just personal. Mm
0: -hmm. No, I think he's got the talent. It's just, he doesn't have the experience. That's all.
1: And Buck has the experience, but uh, okay. Moving right along. (laughs) (laughs) You had a do over.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mr. John Paul Morosi is back to his blue Jay fan baiting ways. Uh, he was uh, really all over it this week first earlier in, in the in the week he was suggesting, suggesting that the Blue Jays should look at trading just Josh Donaldson
1: we're which, not a hard bunch debate though are we really no apparently not because we're talking about it on the podcast <laughs> but, uh,
0: which I mean it's just like yeah it's like he even if he's you know if they look at, even if they traded him next year he's not free until after 2018 there's no reason whatsoever to trade Josh Donaldson
1: well, they're they're a game and a half out of first. Even yeah. if things go badly tonight, why would you get rid of your very best? What are you going to trade him for?
0: It's exa- It's just stupid. We're not. Like, I don't even want to go this any further. I just want to mention it was <laughs> okay. dumb that he brought it up. Uh, let's not give it the credence it deserves by going any further into why it doesn't make sense. But he, he didn't stop there. He went, he went on, I guess not doubling down, but he just decided to go deeper. <laughs> so saying that it looks like the Jays are preparing to, for life after Encarnacion. That was part of the smoke signing and why they want to keep Rowdy Telez. Justin smoke ain't replacing Edward Encarnacion. Nobody believes that. And Rowdy Telez is a prospect. He's a decent one. Of course they want to keep him, but it's not because they're going to lose Edwin's because he's pretty decent. <laughs>
1: Uh, it goes on it Was they report of course once again on the all-star break they report that Edwin isn't negotiating in season like it's news <laughs> it's, it's not news it was in spring training Edwin said I'm not going to negotiate during the season thank you okay I guess we're <laughs> done here why is that come up with the all-star break that makes no sense at all
0: uh, it's just people know that Jays fans will read anything and Jay's idiot podcasters will talk about anything.
1: And then people will <laughs> listen to Jay's idiot podcasters talking about anything. <laughs> this is the best. We like, what do are, these, this... what are these
0: jerks doing a do-over? Jeez. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Uh, John Morosi, your do-over is if you stop talking about absolutely illogical things, things <laughs> that Jay's <laughs> might do, uh, well, we won't ever talk about it again. I I, I did see a tweet that I thought was accurate some pundits slash an analyst whatever you want to call them wish every team was constantly rebuilding because then they would have
0: stuff to write about
1: yeah endless material right because people be moving <laughs> around all the time it's that, like that was in response to the donaldson comments yeah but someone has to be winning now and hanging on to people that's just the way it works ah all
2: yeah. right
1: so as a final point here I'm going to give the floor over to you because you explained briefly to me, but I'd like you to go in as much detail as necessary as to why it's important that people come to peace with cheering for the New York Yankees.
0: Yeah. And this is a hard thing for people to wrap their head around, which I understand <laughs> because the Yankees have been the enemy for ever. Is that right? Since yep. the Jays have
1: existed? The evil empire.
0: Right. Exactly. Well, there's a couple reasons that everyone should be cheering for the Yankees right now. First off, they're playing Baltimore at the moment. So Baltimore's in first place, and they're going to be playing the Red Sox a bunch, and they're not a big threat. These are the obvious reasons. But the other reason is that the Yankees, they face a lot of pressure to win, and they don't have a team that's probably good enough. But if they're even within striking distance of the postseason, it's going to be really, really hard for them to justify selling. And if they can't sell, then other teams in the league can't get better. And I'm all for this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because they have pieces that the teams that the Jays are fighting will covet.
1: Yes. They have relievers who throw 105 miles an hour.
0: Yeah. And they've got okay, they some win. outfielders for, say, Cleveland. They've got a couple of mediocre starting pitchers that are still better than Boston's guys. I mean, you know, Yankees, Red Sox trades are rare, but that doesn't mean they don't happen. So, yeah, I don't. I, I'd like them to stay on the fringes just so that they blow it and then realize on August 2nd that, oh, crap, we should have sold.
1: So you're trying to... Sorry, August
0: 12th because they play Boston from the 9th to the 11th. Right.
1: So you're trying to uh, create, by force of will, and and I mean this could work, a situation where the, the Yankees help the Jays this year and in doing so screw themselves for the long term. Yes, Exactly. Magic. Genius. <laughs> about a, that
0: tweet you were talking about was from Mike Gosensko. Go.
1: Ah, it was. Mike, full credit there. Uh, okay. Well, then absolutely go Yankees. <laughs> right? right. And Temporarily I, go Yankees. I think it's important that they get right around the 84 win mark. Or they at least they're tracking for it, right? That's where, where they want to be. Yeah. Because you can't sell when you're tracking for 84 wins because anything could happen. Exactly. Of course it probably won't because after 10 years of being too old, the Yankees appear to have finally gotten too old.
0: <laughs> but they're still holding on as of the podcast inning. It's two nothing against the the, uh, the Orioles, through 5. If they can get through one more inning with that lead, they can go to Potencius Miller and Chapman, who threw 105 <laughs> again, by the way.
1: Again. Like he broke, it. Ain't, he,
0: he tied his own record
1: for the fastest pitch ever at 105.1. Like it ain't no thing. I don't yep. even yeah, it just blows my mind. Uh okay, so on that uh on that go go Yankees go note, I think it's time to wrap up <laughs> our loose ends. Um uh first of all, you are Josh Housem and you can be found at Joshua Housem Uh I am Greg Wisniewski and I can be found at Coolhead 2010. Uh, our guest was Adam McInturf of Baseball Prospectus,
0: and, and he could be found at w Adam underscore McInturf.
1: <laughs> Indeed, and this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number twenty-one, and we will see you next week.